Welcome to the Inside Envy podcast, where we bring you, the listener, inside Envy's walls to join us for conversations about cycling and a deep dive into the science and insight behind our brand, the people, and the products we create to deliver a better ride experience. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Inside Envy podcast and in the Envy recording closet. We have with us today Eli Herrick, who has been with Envy for seven years. He is a self-proclaimed resident smartass and, amongst his other talents, is a phenomenal design engineer and has been working on M-Series pretty much since the day he got here. Also joining us is our very handsome sound engineer, AJ <laughs> Turner. Hello. He's an engineer because he pushes the buttons and <laughs> it's a little different kind of in- do you feel insulted Eli that we can call AJ a sound engineer even though you know I've I've had friends in the music business so I'm used to it <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anyone that drives a train so I still have that to check off the list <laughs> you need to start hanging out with older gentlemen <laughs> that's what my mom told me <laughs> so and I am Jake Pantone I'll be uh hosting this show. And uh, this week on the Inside Envy podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, one of our favorite uh, race disciplines, which is downhill. Um, Envy has been involved in downhill racing, the gravity discipline of the world's favorite gravity discipline since, uh, I don't know, forever. And uh, let's see, our first, uh, our first, uh, it was our first season in downhill, 2010, I believe was our first season that we had a had an official World Cup downhill team, and that was um, that was a very uh, that was a very exciting big move for us. You know, at the time, carbon fiber wheels were very much uh, not the norm. They were pretty exotic, and you know, there was a lot of doubt. And honestly, the the there's a lot of doubt about the materials use in in mountain bike application. And then, really, you know, our segue into downhill started somewhat on a dare um, or a challenge, right? Like there was a conversation that happened. Um, between two two guys that uh, people in the industry are very familiar with, one saying this is not possible, and the other saying it's absolutely possible. And the topic being whether or not carbon could be um, uh, a capable material for downhill, not only frames but wheel sets and other components as well. So, um, Eli, what you know, we have a list of questions here we kind of want to talk about just to kind of set the uh, set the tone for um, this this discussion or this conversation and, you know, having been around downhill for as long as you have, um, you know, what are the most notable differences you've seen in equipment over the years? Well, as you pay attention to the geometries for bikes, they, they keep aiming towards how do we make these mountain bikes as stable, as confidence inspiring as our downhill bike. If you put a rookie on that downhill bike, the right with the right spring rates etc you end up with someone that's more comfortable more confident even at their ability level you take that to the pros and every little tweak they want to make themselves more confident faster more grip etc um, those those trickle down into the other bikes and uh, we determined that for rolling efficiency a 29er is going to be the wheel of choice for basically any cross-country racer in the last proximate decade, except for maybe someone that's really small and, and doesn't fit. Um, so the natural thought that's obviously in designers' heads is what do we do to make a downhill bike behave this way? And as they focus on racing, specifically crossing a finish line with the fastest average time of anyone in the race, uh, it makes sense that engineers look towards things, these roll over objects faster. Uh, so the, the growth in diameter uh, makes sense to everyone, rolls over stuff faster, I'm trying to get to the finish line faster. Um, when they put that together in a downhill bike, there's lots of things that are changing. How does this wheelbase accommodate these bigger wheels? Is the wheelbase gonna be too much for someone to handle what how what happens to the whole package you you don't just put a different wheel on there and end up with a package you're real happy with you have to do your homework and end up with something that checks all the boxes like 
we talk about at Envy, if, if there's a box we're missing, we, we probably have some homework to do. Um, the, I guess, technology, as you would expect, better valving, better damping in their suspension. We, we, we just sort of expect that every couple of years, right? We expect next year's fork or at least the year after next year's fork to have some magical damper in it that does things we never were able to do before. Uh, when it comes to brakes, we expect next year's to uh, not even be able to get too hot under any human's abilities, uh, not make noise. I mean, all, all the things you want out of your equipment, you just sort of expect they all work better than they did a couple of years ago as, as a rider, as a consumer. Uh, I mean, look at the bikes that we started riding on. They were a pain. You took them home, you limped them home, figured out how to at least make it work for the next day if you couldn't find parts, get back on your next ride, do the same thing. And now for, I don't know, for almost 20 years now, mountain bikes have been awesome, right? They, You wash them, lube them, ride them again. You don't retune the derailleur every time you ride it. You don't have to fiddle with your brakes to make them behave the way they did when they were new. They, a lot of them behave the way they did when they were new. You just put new pads in them and get out there. Um, so uh, I think there's expectations that the reliability has to improve over time, and I think that's reasonable. Uh, there's expectations that the uh, performance has the, the performance has to offer a benefit to the racer or to the consumer or the the end user, uh, especially when you're making hand built Formula One level type of equipment like we do. The expectation needs to be, and I think we satisfy that this is developed to be for the fastest in the world and capable of the conditions that the fastest in the world can put them through. And, uh, you know, something I, you know, in our, in my very own neighborhood, the, the young teenagers think I'm some rock star on a mountain bike and I'm just kind of a mid 40 year old hack when it comes down to it. Um, and, <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's just funny, like the local kids that think I'm some fast guy or something, I, I get involved with making equipment for for you know top 10 types of men's elite world cup teams and i realize we don't even participate in the same sport like we yep. we don't i have fun on a bike in the woods and they destroy stuff at full speed with no real fear going on with just a strategy to destroy stuff at full speed so let's um, let's go back a little bit and talk about let's talk about a little bit with fort bill specifically you know we we've always sort of held Fort Bill as the ultimate testing ground based on the aggressive nature of the track, the big rocks, um, you know, the dynamic, it has a little bit of everything on that course. And you've, how many of those races have you been to personally? Uh, I've been to, I think that was my fifth Fort William. Okay. And, um, you know, one of the, one interesting thing about 20, 2019, I mean, my fifth. Fort yeah. William. Yep. So one of the, one of the interesting things, Envy has a great history of racing at Fort William. You know, we've, with the win of Omri this year in 2019 at Fort Bill, that marked our um, fifth win in nine years of racing at that venue. And, you know, we started racing there as we're talking about equipment. You know, the first race we did there would have been with the syndicate back in, an, oh, well, 2010. Yeah, to spring of 2010. And we would have been on 26-inch wheels at the time. And we were not yet on a full carbon frame, and we had just introduced a carbon downhill bar, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so what it, I mean, with being that you've been involved so heavily in the in the design of the wheels, you know, what is what has changed with wheels specifically, you know, in terms of designing the wheel itself? At when we were doing a 26 inch wheel, and back then, um, for you listeners that have been, you know. Uh, familiar with Envy as a brand, you know, our very first downhill, I've got quotes going on since you can't see here, <laughs> our first downhill wheel back in, um, that we developed back in 09, 2010 was um, basically a wheel that we called our all mountain wheel. 
and we shared the mold with our downhill or the downhill wheel shared the mold with that all mountain and it was just a reinforced laminate is that correct Eli? yeah right and so what talk a little bit about like that first season of downhill racing and what what that meant for um syndicate who was our team at the time and just how how we've evolved at that event specifically over the years in terms of you know how many wheels were broken and what sort of like uh you know experience did the team have switching from aluminum to carbon for this ter- first time and then as we've progressed up until today you know what what does the wheel look like today versus what it did when it was a 26 inch reinforced all mountain wheel sure um yeah so as you would imagine there's a natural progression you want to develop something that's stronger that's more durable that's up to a task higher than that all mountain wheel and I think most reasonable people, their first step would be, let's take our all mountain wheel and reinforce it to see what is it capable of with uh, more, you know, more material, more strength, uh, more fibers in this direction where they can prevent that, that level of impact uh, that, that may damage a trail rim, a, a all mountain rim. Um, so it, it makes sense that you try that. We did, it was breaking <laughs> It was breaking, it, it was, uh, when I say breaking records, I mean, it, it was impacting with higher energies than the All Mountain ever had. And so uh, that means it's time to be trying it out in, on the downhill race bikes and see how it goes. Um, so over from from the, uh, genera- the, the first generation of like XC rim, All Mountain rim, DH rim, uh, we we decided we learned what we needed to learn there. That DH rim actually served a lot of riders really well at the World Cup level. They were certainly breaking rims. Um, it's not the level of rims that's unusual to a lot of teams today. Uh, uh, yeah, I've I've been pulled into teams pits before at a world cup for some advice like hey some of our guys need to actually finish a lap this weekend can you give us some ideas uh literally there are there are situations like that where i mean this is 2019 and there are still teams that struggle to figure out can they smash these tracks the way they want to and still have a tire with air in it or still have a a rim that's that's intact um so moving on, uh, we our, our next step in that process was to release the M-Series that broke our rims down into a XE, a trail, a enduro, and a downhill in the M50, M60, M70, M90. Um, that way, uh, we were taking a stand and saying the downhill rim is going to be what it is. It's not the porky brother of the enduro rim it's made to do the things that the at the time santa cruz syndicate wanted it to do and i i'm i'm a big fan of that i think um, when it comes to the downhill racing your priority is durability period if you're a racer you're smashing the biggest fastest nastiest tracks on earth and durability crossing the finish line with a wheel that's intact a tire that has pressure has to be your number one priority uh meaning the rest of it does not matter if the durability isn't there who cares what the ride quality is or anything else if it's likely to break you're still not crossing a finish line and that was our when we made the switch from dh to the, new, the first generation M series that was also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we introduced 27.5 in the old DH, but it was only for a hot minute, and right. then pretty much all M90 racing was done on 27.5. Right. Uh, I think Josh Bryslin was the last one to hang on to the 26. And let's face it, if you were to pick someone that would hang on to the 26, the longest it would be Josh Bryslin, right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> well, he's uh, he, he's for he, sure he, listening he, to this podcast. He, you know, <laughs> he he is a trickster at heart. He yeah. he he can't help it. He yeah. he can't help it. You know, mm-hmm. in the middle of a race run, he looks like this really relaxed dude that's going slowly, but he's going really fast. But in his spare time, you know, he's he's 
jibbing off everything. Yep. No, it's interesting um, because I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from the carbon, just talking about Fort William, because it was it generally opens up the downhill season, you know, officially. There's of course usually a race preceding that, but as far as like the race that everybody gets really excited about, you know, Fort Bill's kind of the the first uh, first big throwdown where everybody gets really excited. Um, but we we had some early success, and you know, we won in twenty six inch carbon, which I believe was the first carbon mountain wheel in modern time to win a world cup race right then we went to 27.5 and again the first 27 and a half inch wheel um and its carbon is becoming more still not very very common but more certainly more brands were taking notice and trying to make carbon and apply it to downhill we then continued to win on 27.5 first wheel i believe first wheel of that size to win a world cup i believe and then with that team, you know, when we were dealing with the, it was Menar PD and um, Bryceland and, you know, those personalities between the racers, as you kind of alluded to, are very different. And with Greg, he was, Greg's always looking for every competitive advantage. And he was always kind of the, the force behind trying new things. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. And so with, with him, if I'm not mistaken, we won the first, we had the first win on a 29-inch wheel with Menar at Fort Bill, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, um, and the biggest whip in the UK on that 29 inch bike, and I can't find a photo of it. I'm bummed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super <clears throat> bummed about that part. Uh, yeah. Uh, Greg, uh, as you know, is the king of Fort William. And, uh, I don't know if I would call Fort William the king of racetracks, but Maybe Fort William and Mount St. Anne are the king and queen, and you can pick the gender. I'm not going to decide. Um, <laughs> the 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 Fort William track's a, a big, relentless one. You know, they're on the track for four and a half minutes. They uh, are pretty beat by the time they get to the section where they can get pedal strokes in, and it's probably beneficial to get pedal strokes in. Um, so it, it's got... It's got everything we like to be there for. It has full speed rock uh, pinball sections. They, they they call that top uh, uh, that top thing that you know looks unhealthy for wheels. Um, it has full speed jumps, big holes between some of the full speed sections. Uh, it has uh, berms that they you know the berm after that road gap is one hell of a wall that they have to stick to, and they have to do it with stability because they're going to lose speed. If they squirm out of it, they're going to lose speed. If they lose any traction in it, uh, they, there, there's a little bit of everything going on down that track that we're, that we're interested in. And because of the speeds and the opportunities to smash something, uh, it's the best place to be. Uh, a racer goes offline on that track and offline means into a really square edge of a rock instead of slightly three inches to the left of it or something where, that was their intended line. Um, so a great proving ground for the racing. And um, you can even request you guys, you know, go go 110% just through that rock garden. We want to know what goes on or, or take the line you decided not to take because your equipment didn't like it. Uh, we want to see what happens now. And those opportunities are good for us because we have a laboratory result that says, you know, we tested the impact energy in this direction. We tested the impact energy in this direction and we're happy with both of them. And this should be better than the last thing we tried, the last recipe we put together. And, um, the real world ends up being important as well. Imagine that you, you, uh, you don't have, you, you're not complete with your testing until uh, I would certainly say until Greg Menard is happy with it because, you know, Greg Menard is only going to be 90% happy with something when he's really happy with something because he's all, like you said, he's always looking for that extra edge. And and he has a good recipe, right? He, uh, I don't think anyone's going to criticize his techniques because it has worked and it has worked for a really long time, a very, very long time. The goat. The goat. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, looking at, uh, man, there's a lot to talk about in terms of equipment just associated um, with downhill racing, but, you know, have we been able to correlate and see that as the wheel size and diameters have changed, the times have come down, or would, would we say that's a correlation, or how, how much have the times changed over the last, you know, seven years of racing at Fort Bill? Um, the It's almost the speed traps that matter more than the laps, because the tracks, and this is a good thing, the tracks typically have some modification to them every year, even the return tracks, like Fort William had something different going on this year. Uh, Fort William, they seem to get creative when you enter the dark woods for the first time is where they like to mix things up. So um, it, it's it's really tough to talk about lap times over the years because it's not... Um, Fair enough. It's not you know, apples it, to apples. It, so. it's, it's not a road course that that hasn't you know that's made out of asphalt that hasn't changed. It, it's uh, it, the lap time itself is really we're, you know these are guys fighting for tens of thousandths of a second, and uh, they um, you know they have a slight change in the track, and the lap times from last year are irrelevant. They uh, do you know they enter the speed traps, especially Mount Saint Anne. Uh, I can't actually see if, if I'm going that fast down that section of track, I actually cannot see what I'm doing at that speed through that nasty straightaway down the ski run. Um, and you absolutely are doing durability testing when you're doing that. Cause once again, if you're not on the exact line you want it to be on and there's a little compression with a sharp rock in it at, you know, f- at freeway, car speeds uh you are definitely looking for some potential trouble and uh so um the maximum speeds that they're hitting through the roughest sections is really the impressive part like the uh the the rock garden in maribor this year was a really uh a really relevant part of that track with respect to your lap time there's a there's a definite crux in the track there's a nasty rock garden that, you know, in my dreams actually has a pretty clean line through there if I can hit it exactly, exactly, exactly how I wanted to. But, uh, you you know, your race run depends on your, I guess, uh, a huge part of it is your capabilities as an athlete and how prepared you were. Uh, part of that preparation is through that nasty rock garden that you may have been intimidated before with, uh, let's say another model of rim uh, in your practice, you can take our rim and try that line that makes you a little nervous because of your equipment, well, because of the abuse your wheels and tires are about to take, and in your practice gain more confidence, come to the point where this is cool, I can actually run that straight line through that rock garden that I was not feeling secure doing that before, and uh, that is where some of their speed can come from. So it's, I mean, it's safe to say that from the transition from 26 inch wheels to 29 and just the talent of the athletes in general, and just as the sport has evolved, we're going faster today than we ever have. Most certainly. <laughs> but, and so are there, have, have we seen in the development of the product, um, both, both with rims and um, other parts of the bike and handlebars, um, some, are there unique challenges that have presented themselves in terms of the design of the product or in terms of the challenges um, put upon the product because of these speeds that we're riding at now that maybe didn't exist back in the 26-inch wheel days? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, I, we're, as a, as a development company, you know, we, we, are, a, we are a supplier of of premium bike equipment, but we are constantly in development of our next higher performance thing. And, um, when, when that is always in your pursuit, that always has to be on your list of things to do is what, what does this product need to do next? Uh, what are the racers going to be looking for next? What is the industry going to be offering next? I mean, you know, from a very basic point of view, like what mix of 29 versus 27.5 are we anticipating for 2020 and, and the next <laughs> years? Um, the, the, we, we need to be on top of anticipating those things, right? Well, let's talk a little bit about the, um, 
the different metrics we're looking at from product, you know, we basically have a toughness metric. So we're testing both in the lab and then out in the field to validate the the, uh, impact durability or toughness of a rim um, as well as handlebars. So how much has that metric changed? You don't have to get into too many specifics about the test, but I mean, is it safe to say a rim, is it twice as strong as it used to be? Um, well, for example, uh, we were approaching twice as strong. The, the latest prototype that the uh, riding addiction team, the Comensal Valnora riding addiction team has requested uh, some some changes to that M930 that they want to be experimenting with, and those are the types of things that can lead to the next generation of product. Uh, the 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 last thing we are we had tested for them just literally a few days ago, uh, it ended up in the neighborhood of twice the impact energy of the original DH, and actually maxed out our station. So. Uh, you know, for future downhill development, we actually need to make a plan for a, a impact energy stand that can put more energy into the rim. So uh, it's cool. We've we've come to a point where the top of the scale mean. You know, the top of the scale was this thing that top I mean, of the scale is top of the scale. <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, <coughs> let's say in 2010, the, you guys you guys had a scale and you looked up at the top of it and said, you know, we'll be there. We'll be there. Um, and, uh, at least in some milestone, we are there. We're not able to smash the latest downhill prototype. Uh, we're not able to fracture the latest downhill prototype without, uh, doing some modification to the equipment we're doing it with. And, you know, in, even in 2010, that looked like maybe unachievable, meaning I don't think I don't think if if uh, if you Jake had a yeah. had a way to look into the future from 2010, you would have said, "Oh man, in in a few years we'll we'll be 1.5 times that, and a few more years we'll be twice that." Uh, that you know, even as an engineer involved in that nitty grit, I wouldn't I wouldn't have anticipated we can get there with the materials that we knew about, with the processes that we knew about. Uh, so the progression has worked, worked out well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I do remember back then, like looking back, uh, looking back now, it's like when you're considering that you're dealing with riders riding at the top of the game and the races are still being, you know, they're being decided within tenths of hundreds of a second. You sometimes, it's hard to look into crystal ball and have any sort of clear vision of what really is coming next. I mean, I think the 29 inch wheel thing was on the radar, but it was, it still is just something that didn't really seem right. And it didn't seem like it had any sort of momentum in the gravity scene. Whereas, you know, today, now that we figured out frame geometries and how to make 29 inch wheels ride like smaller wheels, basically, (laughs) um, we've, we've seen basically a full adoption of larger wheel diameters, at least to the point where 26 inch wheels, you know, died immediately upon the discovery of the benefits of larger rolling diameters and you know i remember those first years at uh first years of downhill racing well really the first season you know we we were i mean I, if, if memory serves i believe we went through around 60 to 80 rims or so that first season um in terms of you know how many rims were broken in practice or testing or riding or racing um with the syndicate and Thank you, steve pete yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But I mean, it was a great, and what that seems like a lot of rims, but I, I think there's a lot of um, misconception about, uh, you know, how many rims do or does a downhill team go through? And, um, you know, it, it, that number, whatever the exact number was, um, say it's 80, whatever, it was still f- quite a few less as compared to the seasons prior when the team was running aluminum rims. And we've seen that happen with three teams now, because we went from syndicate to a season with intense, a couple seasons with intense factory racing. And now today we're with the, the riding addiction, come and solve Al Nord team. And I mean, we're pretty much what one to three rims a weekend. It's well, kind of like if yeah, that, um, I mean, honestly, like the, 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 the previous Fort William was, 
uh, you know, that's a six racer team. So, I mean, our, our stats are probably even better than they look on the surface. Cause now we have a six racer team of, you know, of world cup downhillers and, uh, they cracked two rims at Fort William. And both of those were like, a almost humorous to them, almost like, don't worry what I just did there. Nothing was going to survive that I got offline and through the tape and, smashed into something that you really shouldn't smash into. Um, so even, even the two rims that, uh, that cracked at, at this Fort William event, both of those were, came with a story like, Oh, don't stress over these. There's nothing you could have done about that scenario. Um, and you know, uh, maybe they are right. Maybe, maybe they're embellishing a little, uh, it's just the, in their, in, you know, with our current equipment and our, our current team of athletes, they, are in a space where they can take whatever line on earth they want, as long as it's not some type of huge mistake and they're confident about it. And, and they're really thankful for it. They, uh, you know, they've never had this type of security with their wheel and tire system. And like I said, from my point of view, downhill racing specifically, that's number one, your wheel and tire security is number one. Like you have to cross the finish line and, uh, if you're preventing yourself from crossing the finish line, you have not accomplished priority number one at all. And the rest of the priorities don't come into play. So that's, that's a good segue. I mean, I'm kind of leading you here, but you know, the new M930 has what we call protective rim strip. And, um, we're also seeing in recent years, more and more riders, um, going to insert tire insert type systems and, uh, maybe uh, from from your perspective and working with the teams over the years, like what what is it that is, I mean, we're seeing less and less broken rims each year with the product we're making and our protective rim strip that you were basically the man behind the, the development of that project um, has really uh, aided in that. But what is, what is it with keeping your tires inflated um, what is it that the, like, why are people going to inserts? Like what, what's happening right now in downhill in terms of, uh, these technologies? Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, the, like I mentioned before, the, the first M series was when we broke it down into the, uh, you know, M 50, 60, 70, 90 to go from XC to downhill. And when we went to the third generation of mountain rims, um, we, we're looking at the enduro racers and the obviously we were developing the best stuff i've ever seen for for the xc and trail segment too but uh we were we were looking at the enduro and downhill racers with a uh with an approach that is what can we do to offer what can we do like like i mentioned earlier to check every box and uh, in my point of view the the weight box is kind of hard to check when you're adding a 200 gram gizmo to the inside of your tire and you know it's racing and lightweight equipment is usually what a racer is going to reach for as long as it's durable enough for the job it's racing you don't really want you know, they say no free rides in the, in the auto racing business, meaning why is there still a bracket to hold on the AC compressor that you don't have in your race car? Take the bracket off too. Why is there still this? Take that off. So no free rides. Um, and that from my point of view, uh, and, uh, and Brett Satterthwaite's point of view, Brett, Brett and I were, uh, the basically co-developers of the um, of the impact resistant rim strip. Um, we actually started that as a uh, two flavor. Actually, I really like this approach. We had two solutions to the same problem. We developed both solutions. We tested both solutions. We had our world cup athletes test these solutions and came to the conclusion that, you know, my solution sucked and Brett's was good. Um, you know, basically I was designing a crushable, structure into the hook of the rim. So a composite rim could dent like an aluminum rim dents. And 
the one the the one thing people do like about aluminum rims in enduro racing downhill racing is some of them can take a pretty severe dent and finish a race where and when it comes to composites they are typically made of brittle enough matrix materials that you're only going to strain that material so far excuse me you're only going to strain that material so far until a fracture develops somewhere and so so Brett and I are on parallel paths to make something that it, something that absorbs energy at the hook and into the sidewall or at the sidewall location of the tire and preserves the integrity of the tire, doesn't want to pinch flat the tire, doesn't want to destroy the rim, and how do you put that together? There's a lot of racers using insert systems for that reason. Just, uh, you know, it's a buffer for impact. You you someone punches you in the head it hurts less with a helmet on but it still hurts um (laughs) so so what what do we do to give the rim that kind of armor where it is taking energy out of an impact but it's protecting your tire at the same time and not just slicing the tire because the rim's so burly that something has to give and the first thing to give is your tire which a racer is not interested in um, so there's different approaches out there as, as you can tell nowadays, there's a, there's a tire insert that goes from, in my opinion, kind of a joke, you know, a, a 40 gram joke that you put in your tire, which I just don't understand at all. We, we did impact test. I think to quote you, I think what you said is you'd be just as good filling your rim with toilet paper. I, I may have said that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> and, uh, even when we got to the heavier options out there, right. uh, I'm talking about competitors inserts here, uh, testing the heavier options out there. I still did not understand why would you not just upgrade your tire or upgrade your tires duty class, if you will, and run the DH tire for your enduro race take advantage of the extra traction, the extra tire carcass that most of us do enjoy. We just don't want to deal with it on the climbs. Um, so, you know, it, when it can, comes to these insert systems, it, it still, it still bothered me that those were becoming the common solutions because they seemed like a heavy band aid and not like formula one racing equipment. If you catch my drift, no, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what we're highlighting and identifying here is whether it be downhill racing or enduro racing, I mean, three years ago, there was an article that came out in, I think Richard Cunningham wrote it on Pink Bike, and it was talking about the cost of pinch flatting. Yeah, yeah, AJ was, sent that to us, yeah. Yeah, so, it's, I mean, you're looking at this article, and you're, at the time, we were eyeballs deep in, you know, figuring out how to make these protective rim strip rims, so we already, we were sitting there like, kind of high-fiving ourselves behind the scenes because we were actively working on a solution to the problem. But it just highlighted that it is indeed a problem, this concept of like, okay, the rim is, like you said, the most, it's the one thing between you and the ground or you and finishing a lap, you between you and finishing your ride or run or whatever you're doing on the bike that day. And um, the next buffer you have between, you know, finishing or not or having having an awesome flow or not is whether you're tired maintains its air so you know over the years we went from tubes to tubeless and we there was issues with tubeless initially right like getting bt diameters right and dealing with tire constructions and then of course there was a development lag between tires and rim manufacturers getting bead stiffnesses right going from you know 27 and a half inch then to 29 and you know through the disciplines and you know burping tires used to be a thing but we we solved those problems we you know, went to hookless construction rims that, you know, allowed for perfect um, bead seat diameters and, you know, more consistent walls and a more reliable tubeless seal. And then we got to these really stiff rim structures that then are, um, you know, holding air tubeless, but now you're out there pinch flatting because the rim structure is so stiff and the, the leading edge of the rim, that hookless bead um, leading edge is generally, you know, pretty narrow and sharp. And so when you compress your tire into between a rock and that sharp edge, it would slice through it like a knife. So then we see inserts come out as a solution to prevent that acting as a buffer between the two. And in our in-house testing, as well as out in the field, we saw very little to 
well, zero benefit to, in some cases, a little benefit to that solution. But really more than anything, what we saw is um, broken rims are often the result of that uh, post-flat, you know, yeah. whatever you do after you flat, whether you're trying to slow down or you're just saying, F it, I'm going to roll this section and I'll stop whenever it's convenient. But it's in those moments where you tend to see the most broken or damaged rims, especially in downhill racing, um, because you're racing. <laughs> so uh, a flat tire is not something you stop for in a downhill race. You, you stay on the gas and we've seen plenty of runs and it's really our goal to prevent those as cool as it is to watch, you know, talented racers like Gwyn, you know, destroy a downhill on a rim only. Um, <laughs> the way better solution, and I'm sure Gwyn would agree, having talked to him, is that to you you want to keep that tire on the rim and ideally air in the tire. And so really that was the solution that you we get were... air in the tire? Ah. That's good. <laughs> These are the things that, you know, you only get from Eli. <laughs> but yeah, that's what you're... I mean, that's really what the protective rim strip's all about is keeping air in the tire because you keep yeah. air in the tire, you protect the rim. And that's, that's, that's the element that I think a lot of people are just overlooking these days in terms of their decision-making when they're looking at, do I put an insert in or not? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I guess to go back to, uh, the development of those, like, like I said, we were on parallel paths where I was making a dentable composite rim. Well, we were all making both of these, but, uh, Brett was on the path of a rim strip that makes this, you know, energy absorbing hook. Either way, we're looking for a hook that absorbs energy instead of sending it all into the hook, or, the I'm sorry, into the bead or sidewall of your tire. And um, so we agreed, uh, uh, Scott Nielsen, the, the engineering VP, Brett and myself, we agreed that number one, this has to be a simple tubeless system. This isn't going to be this World Cup uh, black magic thing that's hard to install that's uh you know that's going to make an end user unhappy a world cup team does what they need to do to let the fastest guys in the world ride above their 100 percent level for a few minutes um what we need to keep our mind on is how complete and how is our system going to satisfy an end user? And is that end user someone that just loves to ride their bike? Are they a privateer racer? Are they qualifying for World Cups? Whoever they are, uh, it has to be a system that makes their, basically a system that they install their favorite tire and they install their favorite tire without a huge headache and it accomplishes all of these things that a very heavy insert accomplishes for them. Um, so, uh, you know, through our testing, it turns out the dentable hook worked, the protective rim strip worked and they worked in similar energy levels. They were, they, you know, they were pinch flatting tires at similar energy levels as well. Cause we, we do measure that in the lab too. Um, but the dentable rim was, you know, we determined that is a piece of special World Cup magic because you can't really have a, a threshold for once your rim has this many dents of this much depth in it, you you can return it to us and we'll replace it or something. You know, an aluminum rim, it is expected that if you're doing enduro races, if you're doing downhill races, it's going to have several dents in it after... Uh, for a World Cup or a one big practice session for a weekend warrior a couple times a year for a slow guy, maybe not very often, but it's going to happen. Um, and in in the protective rim strip path that we decided to follow because it wasn't so much Black Magic World Cup equipment, it was presentable to everyone. Um, uh, Brett was ordering multiple materials to uh, be able to evaluate. You know, he would he would have as soft as we could imagine to harder than we could imagine in these polymers to make the rim strip out of, so we could determine uh, across this range uh, what where do the benefits where do the benefits find their their high point? You know where. Are we light enough? Where are we impact resistant enough? Where are we not pinch flatting 
Uh, and then the other boxes that just have to be checked. How installable is this by a semi-rookie? Uh, how much fun is it to put your tire on and off? Uh, what happens in the middle of a race if you have to get to this stuff? You know, all of those types of concerns. And um, so, you know, we ended up with a package that was definitely the the protective, the energy absorbing part of it is on the outside of the rim in that protective rim strip and not, uh, I mean, there's certainly ways that we manipulate those um, those laminates to give us the compliance in the directions we're aiming for it. But uh, but as far as smashing tires into rocks, uh, the protective rim strip definitely came out as the way to go for for the whole complete package reasons. Um, and so then, knowing that's our goal, then what are we? What are the sub goals that add up to that? It has to be a weight class that is something we're proud of. It doesn't need to be lighter than brand whatever it needs to be something we're proud of for for its purpose however what we're doing is eliminating the extra weight from foam inserts and making a strip that is designed into the system of that rim that gives you virtually all of those benefits the one that uh, we're having a hard time figuring out what to do about is if you just gash a sidewall wide open on a sharp rock, um, you're, you're in some trouble. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's important to, yeah, I mean, I think it's just interesting considering that, that, that progression and that those, those design parameters or goals, objectives we had for this new M series and, and really these objectives have helped shape the entire M series line. And so we came out with this protective rim strip technology because based on our whole overall design philosophy of building, building and developing or designing products that are ultimately very functional and durable. And we had one solution that was very much kind of a formula one disposable type rim, um, great product, but not commercial, not commercial at all in its um, abilities. And, mm -hmm. Um, also we're not, you know, we're just not into, we're not building, um, disposable products. That's just not our behind our, that's not part of our design ethos. And, um, that protective rim strip was challenging in many ways. Obviously we had to basically set up our very own injection molding <laughs> process because of the scale being much smaller than some of the, op you know, when we're looking for vendors for injection molding, you know, we're we're not making enough volume to really justify doing it elsewhere. Um, so we, we built those ourselves here Sorry. in house and, uh, you know, so that, that protective rim strip technology is really, um, proving itself on the, on the world cup and the downhill to the point where, you know, flat tires aren't really a thing we discuss or talk about. And they were, they were, you know, compared to downhill racing, it's definitely had an impact, but in enduro racing, it's really made a much larger impact because that's where, um, riders were, riders were kind of rolling the dice in terms of, um, you know, trying to keep their bike light as possible to yeah. be able to make it pedalable uphill still, um, as well as survive the downhill. So there was a little bit more of that, uh, uh, balance that they were seeking, but you know, and it's, I think it's just, it's really cool to have seen that this technology has really, uh, improved the experience for most of our, well, all of our enduro racing teams, well, test riders and teams. And then at the world cup level, you know, we're seeing that our athletes are, yeah, just not having the issues and the happiest of all have always been our mechanics, right? I mean, that's always, yeah. that's kind of the running joke in the world cup pits is you always want to be the envy mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's been several events with a lot of long nights for world cup downhill mechanics because they had plans to do this, this or this, but instead they're just going to be building more wheel sets because they realized how many got smashed in practice and, they don't have enough to confidently finish the next day without having some more wheels ready. Um, the the nice thing about that with you know with these elite World Cup teams, they're always busy. They're they they are at the fastest level in the world in their discipline, and they are always busy trying to make things just right and building wheels over an event you know, frequently building wheels over the course of an event, just you, you're sacrificing something. Even if it's just the mechanic's sleep, that's a sacrifice because they need to be on it the next day. 
Um, so you're just saying like time spent building wheels, yeah. it's time that they're now spending, you know, rebuilding a shock or yeah. adjusting so, something so, uh, else. Yeah. The, the, the riding addiction team, uh, you know, their mechanics are super excited. Well, the whole team is super excited because they have time to try this other shock mount. They have time to try this different swing arm. They have time to try this different pulley wheel. Uh, they, they, those are, if those don't make the top of their priority list, it can be because they have to build wheels that night. They can't be swapping frame sections out to try this and try that. It's like we have to practice number one. So they need wheels to practice. You know, we, we have to qualify, we have to race. They need adequate wheels to do those things. Um, so what do they miss out on when they're lacing up product instead of uh, tweaking product to just get the last bit of speed they can out of it instead of just making more? Gotcha. Um, well, cool. I think that uh, I think that about covers everything we had on our list to talk about. And it's exciting to uh, watch as the sport of downhill continues to progress and develop. It's awesome seeing new talents out there that just is continuing to raise the level of the sport. Um, next up, we have uh, let's see what's next. Val Nord Andorra World Cup is this weekend or next? That is what's next. The, what's the date for Andorra? Maybe two weeks out. Yeah, I think we're two weeks out. <coughs> anyway, so yeah, follow uh, follow NB Racing um, with the Common Cell Val Nord team at their home track in uh, Andorra. So that's coming up either this weekend or next. Use your Google to figure that out. And uh, we can't do everything for you. <laughs> um, and then Eli, just imparting, you know, what's your what's your favorite NB project product of all time? M930. That's your will? <laughs> Come on. That's MB, that's Eli's will. He rides it. He developed it. Makes sense. So thanks. In, install, shred, repeat. Install, shred, repeat. You should make a T-shirt. Install, shred, 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 shred. That's <laughs> that's. I mean, that's really the situation with those wheels. I I, uh, I don't like to have to go back and fiddle with things that were underclassed for their duty. And I would say you're not going to find too many riders that find the durability limit of that rim. And uh, that's where a downhill rim needs to be. The whole priority thing I was talking about. <laughs> shred, shred, repeat. Okay. Those are higher priorities <laughs> and then durability. All right. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us, Eli. And this has been another of episode of the inside envy podcast. We, uh, like I said in previous episodes, we're, we're new to this sport. So, we're still figuring things out. If you have any comments or suggestions on how we can improve the show, we'd love to hear them. You can reach out to us at podcast at envy.com. And we'd uh, love to get your feedback as well as uh, if you have any ideas for future topics that you'd like us to cover, we'd, we'd love to address that. So thanks for joining us on the show. Mm -hmm.